Please take your Bibles now and turn together to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, as we consider the life of Elijah and his ministry in the northern kingdom, uh, we are quickly approaching what is considered the high point of the, uh, the ministry of Elijah, uh, the contest, the showdown on Mount Carmel that many of you uh, may remember, but we don't quite get there tonight. Our passage uh, lays the foundation for that showdown, uh, the passage that's before us tonight. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 19 of 1 Kings 18, and I encourage you to give careful attention To the living and active word of God. Please hear the word of the Lord. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave And fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation uh, that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab... And he cannot find you, he will kill me, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. 
So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's where we'll end the reading of God's word. Let's stop and pray to him together. Our Father in heaven, as we have just sung in Psalm 27, teach us to follow you. Instruct us in your way. Lord, give us ears to hear your word. Uh, What a fascinating story uh, you have recorded for us in your word. And yet, Lord, let us not just be fascinated by it. Let us be instructed uh, by it, by your spirit. Uh, Drive us out of ourselves to Christ. Uh, Drive us by faith to you. Give us courage in the face of enemies. Lord, we wait upon you. And so we pray In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage before us tonight sets the scene for one of the most striking and memorable stories in all of the Old Testament, the contest on Mount Carmel. And it might be a temptation for us to move quickly through this to get to the good part of the story. But there is much for us here tonight to learn. And in this text, we return now to Israel. And as we return to Israel, the scene is rather bleak. We read that the famine is severe. We hear about persecution for God's prophets that had remained in Israel. And the king, Ahab, seems oblivious to the judgment of God and the suffering of his people. He's out looking for water for his mules. Well, as we return to Israel, we encounter various characters as the scene is getting set for the showdown. And as we encounter these characters, we see battle lines emerging between parallel but contrasting opponents. There are the enemies of God on the one hand, and then on the other hand, there are those who fear God, And you'll see this reflected in your outline tonight if you're looking at that. And uh, you can see some of the parallels and yet how they are enemies and contrasting enemies. On the one hand, you have the false god Baal and then the true living God. And then you have the prophets of Baal and also the prophets of Asherah. And then there's mentioned the prophets of the Lord. And then there's uh, Queen Jezebel in the king's house. And then on the other side, there's God-fearing Obadiah over the king's house. And then finally, you see the great enemy of God, uh, King Ahab, and he comes face to face with the great man of God, uh, the prophet Elijah. And what I want you to see in this passage that's really setting the scene for the contest on Carmel is the great courage 
and faith of those who fear God. Uh, They are the underdogs. They are facing enormous opposition and oppression and persecution. And yet they are walking by faith. They're walking by faith with boldness. And a passage like this uh, adjusts our expectations as the people of God. It, it wakes us up and reminds us that life is not easy. And we as the, the people of God, as those who fear God, should not expect it to be so. Uh, we are in a battle. And the, those who fear God can face things like famine, persecution, hatred, Uh, surprise and suffering. We saw some of that last time. Living by faith in this world before God's enemies and among God's enemies calls not for retreat or defeat, but it calls for courage and faith. It calls us to fix our eyes on God and on his word. And so brothers and sisters, that is what I want you to see tonight from God's word. The call of God's word to you tonight from this story is to fear the Lord, not the enemies of God. Fear the Lord and live with courage before the very real enemies of God who are your enemies as well. Do not fear man. Do not fear God's enemies. Fear the Lord. And boldly live by faith, live by the word of God in this dark world. Well, tonight we are going to take a unique approach to this passage and consider this cast of characters, these enemies. And uh, we're going to do so briefly one by one. We'll consider those opposed to God and his people and then those who fear God. And let's start tonight by considering the enemies of God. The enemies of God. And the first enemy of God is Baal, the false god, Baal. Baal is not prominent in this passage as he will be in the next. But he is the false god that Israel is worshiping. He is the god of rain, and yet uh, there is drought. And the drought continues. Uh, Even though he has at least 450 prophets, Baal is powerless. He's powerless. And in contrast to the Lord, um, Baal is silent and Baal does nothing. Uh, Baal is non-existent. Uh, He is a false god. He is an idol. And as a false god, as a false hope, uh, he is sadly a temptation and a great snare to God's people. Uh, He's a powerless enemy, and yet because of human sin... Uh, Because of human foolishness, because of the human heart, uh, which longs for and creates idols, he is a powerful temptation. Uh, He is a destructive force in Israel. And uh, as we think about Baal, and we're going to move on quickly, uh, we do need to think about today, we need to ask ourselves, what idols are enemies of God today? What false gods, what idols are you and I tempted to trust, uh, to love, and to serve more than God. Uh, We need to guard against these enemies of God. They are idols. Uh, They do not speak. They do not act. 
Uh, They have no life and they give no life. Uh, They only ensnare and enslave. Well, that is the first enemy of God, and that leads us to the second enemy of God, and that is the prophets of Baal. And the first thing I want you to notice about the prophets of Baal is how many of them there are. You'll see this in the very last verse, verse 19. Uh, Along with the, the prophets of Asherah, there are 850 false prophets. And these are just the ones that eat at Jezebel's table. There may even be more. And so they have strength in numbers. They have power and influence at this point. Uh, They are Jezebel's prized army, her her spreaders of paganism and Baal propaganda. And they're rewarded for it, aren't they? They eat at the royal table. That's what we see in verse 19. They dine like kings, and they dine like kings while everyone else is barely surviving in famine. And so it pays right now to follow Baal and to work for Baal, doesn't it? And yet they are completely powerless, these prophets. The drought continues and their God, the God of rain, is doing nothing. They're false prophets, prophets of deceit, enemies of God. And yet, notice they enjoy popularity and prestige. They have the best pay, the best food, the best job security. And this ought to be a warning for us. Serving idols can bring honor. It can bring earthly abundance. Speaking lies and and speaking what pleases people can bring earthly honor and, and blessing and privilege. And fearing God can send you to a cave. It's a temptation to live for the praise of men. We considered that this morning with Simon. It's a temptation to live for the queen's table and not for the cave. It's a temptation to live for ease and for comfort. But we're actually going to see next time in the very next passage that they are destroyed. And so will all of the enemies of God be Uh, who do not repent and put their trust in him. Uh, These prophets are destroyed, they're killed. And when they entered God's presence at death, they would have instantly seen that none of it was worth it. And that Baal was a false god. Well, that leads us then to the third enemy of God that we see in this passage, and that is Jezebel. And we read in verse 4 that Jezebel had cut off the prophets of the Lord. And then we see in verse 13 that she was simply killing them. She was seeking to put them to death. Jezebel was using her power and her influence to do great evil and to try to defeat God and his people by force, even by murder. We also saw and we just talked about how she treated the false prophets. Uh, with honor. And what a contrast there is. The, the prophets of the Lord are being hunted down, and the prophets of Baal are eating at her table. And so Jezebel is someone who calls evil good and good evil, and she acts on it. And she makes that her official program and policy. 
And it can be easy to hear of someone like Jezebel, such enemies of God, such evil, and and shrink back in fear and lose hope and lose heart. But notice in this passage how Elijah and Obadiah do not shrink back. They know how destructive and how wicked and dangerous Jezebel is. But they also know that she is no match for the Lord. And they keep their eyes fixed on the Lord despite this great enemy of God. Well, the fourth enemy of God is Ahab. Ahab. And as we think about Ahab... And as we return with this passage to Israel, we might hope to find him at this point, a changed man in some ways. After years of famine, crippling his kingdom, um, striking at his credibility, would he not be somewhat humbled, perhaps more ready to admit sin? Wouldn't we expect to find him concerned for the welfare of his people? That is not what we find. Instead, he is out looking for water and grass for his mules. He is concerned for his horses. His top concern is not to lose any of his prize stock or his his military strength. And really, we need to just see that Ahab is consumed with himself and his own kingdom and his own power with the things of this world. And friends, this too ought to be a warning to us. Do not be like Ahab, feeding your mules while ignoring far greater, far more pressing needs, like your relationship with God, like the needs of those around you. Kings were to care for and protect Their people, they were to lead them after the Lord. But this king is actually killing his people through the famine. He's killing the prophets of God through his wife. He's leading the people away from the Lord. And yet his mules are finding grass and water. They are being preserved. And and it's really just insane. And yet we see this. We see this same evil today. Animals and forests are protected. Criminals are protected, but not unborn babies. They can be slaughtered freely, and it's celebrated. And those who defend them are mocked and marginalized. Such is the evil and the folly of man and this world in rebellion against the Creator. Well, when Ahab is confronted when this meeting actually happens between him and Elijah in verse 17 he takes no responsibility for any of this no responsibility for the famine uh, for the persecution of the prophets in fact he says Elijah you're the problem Elijah you're the troubler of Israel the famine is the fault of the faithful and that's something else you'll hear today as well. All of the problems that we face are because of Christians, those backward, crazy people of faith. But look how in verse 18, Ahab's sin is identified. Verse 18, Elijah says to him, I have not troubled Israel, 
but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Elijah says this to his face, Ahab, you are the real troubler of Israel. You're the the main source of all the trouble of Israel. Because you have abandoned God's law. You and your line and your fathers before you. And you have led us after the Baals. You have followed the Baals. You've cast off God's word and his will. And you've replaced it with an idol who is lifeless and powerless and leading only to death and destruction. And this seems so obvious and and foolish to us. And yet you you can see, you can feel here how Ahab's heart is as dry and as hard as the soil in famine. He has a dead heart. His eyes are blind. And not even the most awesome display of God's existence and power in the next passage on Carmel, not even that will change him. And this is really a staggering and terrifying portrait. Not only Ahab, but all the other enemies of God. A a terrifying portrait of the depths of human idolatry and depravity. The folly of the human heart. This is man apart from Jesus Christ. This is man apart from the grace of God and the word of God. This is what we all could descend into apart from God's grace and his word. Apart from the life-changing and heart-changing work of Jesus by his spirit. Well, that was quick, but those are the enemies of God that we see in this passage. And We should not be surprised by powerful, influential, numerous enemies of God and his people. We shouldn't be surprised by their activity and, and how violently they are opposed to God. And to us, uh, the people of God. Uh, They must be acknowledged and understood. Uh, They must serve as a warning. But they must not be feared. Uh, As humanly powerful and impressive as they may be, as much damage as they can do, God is to be feared. And our hope and our faith needs to be in God. And I want us then, second tonight, to move to consider the Lord of hosts and those who fear him. We've considered the enemies of God. Let us now consider the people of God and and God himself. Let's start by considering God, the Lord of hosts. In verse 15, Elijah says, As the Lord of hosts lives. And that title he uses for God, the Lord of hosts, is significant. That is a significant title. That very meaningful and powerful name of God. He is the Lord of armies, host of heavenly angels. And this name captures something of, expresses something of God's infinite power. It's a royal name for the almighty king who is on the throne of the universe. This is the God that his enemies are defying. This is the God that his enemies are fighting against. This is the God that Ahab is trying to stand up against. Foolish, silly little Ahab. Ahab, a mere man. 
a, a, a tiny king of a tiny kingdom. He is nothing compared to the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts who lives, unlike Baal, and the Lord of hosts who lives, as we see in this passage, speaks and acts, also unlike Baal. And God speaks once again, and he brings his word to Elijah and calls him to go to Ahab and tells him he is going to soon send rain. He will send the rain, not Baal, because he is the living God. He is the Lord of hosts. And brothers and sisters, the Lord of hosts is why you and I can have courage in this world. Your eyes must be fixed on him and who he is. You must know him and trust him. You must know who he is and what he can do. This is why Elijah could have courage because of the Lord of hosts. This is why you and I can have courage because of who our God is. Well, that leads us next to the Lord's prophets. The Lord's prophets. Look with me again at verse 4. When Jezebel had cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. We really don't know very much about these prophets. They're not well known like Elijah. But they are faithful because they're the targets of Jezebel's attacks. If they had caved and bowed to Baal, she would not have wasted her time with them. She would not have cut them off. But these men were in famine. They were in a hostile environment. And yet they are living with courage, living with faith. They, they do not bow to Baal. And they pay for it. Some of them pay for it with their very lives. And others, a hundred of them, with exile, with merely getting bread and water just to survive, hiding away from their homes, away from their families in caves. They were suffering for the Lord, suffering for being faithful to him. And they were, it seems, especially targeted as God's servants, as prophets. And it may have been easy for them to think, this is not what I signed up for. How is this worth it? This is not working out. And yet this is what the Lord called them to in his plan. This is what he allowed to have happen to them in his mysterious providence. But in a way, this shouldn't surprise us because this is what he called Jesus to. Our great prophet, his only son. And so, brothers and sisters, we should be ready to face such persecution and suffering in this world when we are faithfully serving the Lord. Another thing I want you to notice about these prophets is none of them are named. There's a hundred of them, and we don't know any of their names, but God knows their names. He knows that they're on bread and water and in caves while Baal's prophets are at the queen's table. God values them, even though they were not Elijah. None of these prophets were used or remembered in the same way that Elijah was. They were not on the front lines, so to speak, like Elijah was. 
But their names are in the book of life. And they are in glory right now. And there are countless faithful Christians who have suffered quietly for Christ. Like these prophets, unknown by the world, unknown to church history, but known by Jesus Christ. And now rejoicing in glory. Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to live courageously for the Lord. Even if it means living in a cave. Not getting to stare down Ahab. Not getting the glory, so to speak, of Elijah. Not being named or known. Your suffering, your faithfulness is not forgotten. It's not in vain. It will reap an eternal reward in glory beyond all comparison. Well, that leads us then third to Obadiah as another one who fears the Lord. Obadiah, look with me at verse 3 through 4. And Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Obadiah is serving in the royal court in a high position. He's over Ahab's household. And we read here that he feared the Lord greatly. This was a man of great faith in a very hostile environment. This was a man of godly reverence. He feared God rather than man. And this is even reflected in his name. The name Obadiah means servant of the Lord. And I want you to think about his parents who gave him that name. His parents were trusting in God in times of darkness and apostasy. They raised him to fear and serve the Lord. Even when many in Israel were turning away from this God. And parents, this should be something of an encouragement to you. By God's grace, you can raise your children like Obadiah to fear and serve the Lord. To persevere even when surrounded by evil. Even when outnumbered and seemingly alone. Obadiah is living and working daily in the presence of a horrible man. In the presence of Ahab. The presence of great evil. And yet he does not cave under that pressure. He doesn't become like those around them. He keeps his eyes on the Lord. And I know many of you live and work in similar situations. In Ahab's court, so to speak. A similar pagan environment. In the world where God is disregarded. Where evil is laughed at and celebrated. And it is not easy. But you can fear the Lord. You can serve the Lord and live with courage like Obadiah. We see God working his grace in and through him in this situation, even surrounded by evil, quietly and faithfully resisting it, serving the Lord. And and we actually see many examples of that in Scripture. You can think of men like Daniel or Joseph. Well, his courage and his faith caused him to take drastic action uh, to save the lives of God's prophets. And we read of him here hiding and feeding 100 
prophets. Think about the risk that would have been involved in that. The, the personal cost. The stress. The logistics of actually pulling this off and not being found. It's really amazing. He was not living to preserve himself but others. And he tells all of this to Elijah in verse 13. And I don't think it's for credit or for praise, but rather to show Elijah that uh, he is a true follower of God. He is a man of faith and courage. He is not a coward. He's not messing around. He wants Elijah to realize really how bad it is and how badly Elijah has been sought. He was truly afraid for his life when he meets Elijah and finds out uh, that he's the one that's supposed to tell Ahab that Elijah is returned in verse 9 and following. But before you write Obadiah off here in this middle section as lacking courage, remember how this man was a man of courage. Remember his situation. And he's genuinely not sure if it's wise or safe to tell Ahab about Elijah. He thinks he, he knows Ahab. And he thinks, Elijah, he's just going to kill me. And I'm going to needlessly die. And yet when Elijah gives him his word in the name of the Lord of hosts, what does Obadiah do? He listens and he submits. And in faith he says, okay. And he goes straight to Ahab to tell him about Elijah's presence. And I want you to see as you consider this man, Obadiah, this God-fearing faithful, ordinary servant of God. I want you to see how he was an ordinary servant, an ordinary man who was used greatly by God. He is not a prophet. He's really not very well known. But he served God at great cost and great risk in his time and in his place because he feared the Lord. And it's interesting where, where God had used Extraordinary means to sustain Elijah away from Israel. Remember with the ravens and then with the multiplying flour and oil. Back in Israel, he used an ordinary man, an ordinary means to preserve his prophets. He used Obadiah who hid and fed them in this cave. And people of God, this is a reminder an illustration of the fact that God calls you to use your gifts, even if you are ordinary, even if you are not Elijah, to use your gifts to serve him with courage where he's put you and with what he has given you. You don't have to be Elijah to be used by God. You don't have to be Elijah to be bold and courageous in the face of God's enemies. And we see that as God works in and through this man, Obadiah. Well, that brings us then finally uh, to the final God fear, and that is Elijah. Elijah. God's word back in chapter 17 had directed Elijah to hide, to go away from Israel, and now his word comes to him again and directs him to come out of hiding and go to Ahab, and God tells him he's going to send rain. Look at verse 1 again. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. 
after years of waiting and waiting and patience, away from Israel, way off the beaten path, God is calling Elijah back into Israel, and there is no warm-up. There is no easing back into it because God says, you need to go straight to Ahab. He's had an international warrant out for you, Elijah. He's been hunting you everywhere. There's a bounty on your head, but I want you to go to him. And listen to how Elijah responds. Verse 2, so Elijah went. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. This is becoming something of a theme as we're looking at the prophet Elijah. Without question, without delay, Elijah hears and obeys the word of God. Elijah goes. Even when God's word may be terrifying, may not have been what he thought a good plan would be, Elijah receives the word of God and he acts in faith. By God's grace, Elijah not only preaches God's word, but he believes it, he hears it, he obeys it himself. And once again, Elijah in this aspect especially points us ahead to Jesus. Think about how Jesus perfectly obeyed God's word. When God called him to go to the enemy, to go to this wicked world at the fullness of time. He went without protest, without delay, willingly. And he knew that it would certainly lead to his death. When the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness all alone, to be without food for 40 days, to be tempted by Satan, when the Spirit drove him straight to the very enemy of God, Jesus did just that. And Elijah's imperfect human obedience to God's call and God's word before great danger and great evil is a small glimmer, a small foretaste and picture of Jesus' perfect and greater obedience among even greater enemies in order to save his people, to save us. But as you see how Elijah responds to God's word, as you consider how Christ perfectly obeys God's word, what about you, brothers and sisters? What about you, kids? Do you hear God's word? Are you listening for his word? Are you eager to hear what God would have you do? And do you go when and where the Lord calls, even if it means going before Ahab, even if it is not easy? even if it seems abrupt and and scary. Well, God leads Elijah to Obadiah first in his providence, who's out looking for grass and water. And when Obadiah expresses fear about this plan, fear for his life, and, and tells Elijah about his hiding the prophets, Elijah doesn't really respond. He neither congratulates him nor scolds him. But because he's a man on a mission, obeying God's word, he points him to God and he keeps on task. He says, no, go tell Ahab I'm going to meet him today. And verses 17 and following record for us the very tense, heated, anticipated exchange 
between Ahab and Elijah. And did you notice how Ahab greeted Elijah? It's the opposite of the way um, Obadiah greeted him. Obadiah said, is it you, uh, my Lord? Ahab says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? You troubler of Israel. The faithful prophet simply obeying God's word and, and seeking the good of Israel is called the troubler of Israel. And that ought to make you think of Jesus Christ as well. He was seen as the troubler of Israel. He was not received even by his own, whom he loved, whom he had come to save. And he was crucified because he was the troubler of Israel. Well, Elijah turns it around. Think of the courage in Elijah's response. He turns it around and he says, No, Ahab, you are the troubler of Israel. And then he proceeds to name his sins, to name his crimes, and, and give the king orders. Can you imagine the courage and the boldness to say this to the king? And you expect Ahab, having gotten to know him some, you expect him at this point to order Elijah's immediate execution. But that's not what we read. God, who is the Lord of hosts, who directs the king's heart like a stream of water, restrains Ahab, allows him to, to agree to this plan, this meeting on Carmel, and the scene is now set. The pieces are coming in place for the showdown. Elijah is going to have an audience and an opportunity to show what his name means. The Lord is God. And as we have had this opportunity tonight to see the fearless faith and courage of the people of God by his grace at work in them, a faith and boldness that you and I are called to have, it raises the question, where does such courage and boldness come from? How did these men, how did Elijah, how did Obadiah do it? You could ask the same of many men and women in the Bible or in church history. Think of Martin Luther, people who dared to speak the truth even though all the world was against them, even though it might cost them their life. Well, it is not found in Elijah. It's not found in Luther, Obadiah. It is not found in man. Remember James 5. Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Friends, this faith, this fear of God, this courage comes from Almighty God, the Lord of hosts. And his spirit. It comes by faith. It comes by fixing their eyes on God. By believing the Lord is God. The Lord is my God. He is the Lord of hosts. And it comes by hearing his word and walking by faith in his word. Elijah's eyes were not so fixed on the anger and power and, and danger of Ahab. They were fixed on the glory and might of his God and the word God had given him. And brothers and sisters, this is how you must live in a hostile world among God's enemies. This side of glory, 
by fixing your eyes on God, by walking in his word, walking by faith. And this is even more true and more possible now for us. Yes, we are not Old Testament prophets, but we live in the new covenant and we live after Christ has come and defeated definitively sin and death and Satan, the worst enemies. He has defeated them on the cross and in his resurrection. And Elijah looked forward to Jesus from a great distance by way of prophecy, by way of type and shadow. But we look back on what he has done, his full completed work. We know that he has defeated our greatest enemies. We have his example of courage and faith. We know his salvation in full. And he had the greatest courage with our own nature as the God-man by the Spirit. And he completed his mission for our salvation. And in just a few moments, we're going to be reminded of the finished work of Christ for us on the cross in the Lord's Supper. And we're going to eat and drink looking forward to his return. And when he returns, and he will return soon, he will be fully victorious. There will be no more famine, no more caves, no more persecution, no more suffering, no more enduring the scorn of God's enemies. And so, brothers and sisters, because of Jesus, you and I have even more reason and more grace and more strength to live by faith and to live by God's word until he returns. To fear God, even at great risk and great hardship. This is what God calls you to, and this is what he empowers you for through Christ and by his spirit. And you know that nothing can separate you from his love, from the eternal life that you have in him. People of God, you and I are in a battle. Uh, The battle is real. There are real enemies of God. Uh, You need to know this. You need to expect this. Uh, You need to be prepared for this. Uh, You need boldness and faith. You need to fear the Lord and not man. But remember, Christ has won the victory. All that remains is for him to call in the rest of his people and return in glory. And so until he does that, until he returns, in light of his cross and his resurrection, in light of his sure victory, fear the Lord and live with courage and faith before the enemies of God until Christ has put all of them under his feet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for how your word gives us a glimpse of the the greater victory of Christ. We thank you and praise you for his faithfulness, his courage, for how he obeyed your word perfectly for us and stared death in the face, conquered all of his and our enemies. Lord, would you give us courage in light of that in him and by him as we yet are still on the battlefield and as there are real enemies that seek to destroy uh, you and your people. Lord, let us not expect ease and comfort in this life. Uh, Let us be ready for 
uh, that which is difficult, uh, that which tries our faith and our patience. And let us keep our eyes fixed on Christ. We do pray this in his name. Amen.